Oh, my name is Mike. I say that for the first time guests or for people who just forget my name from week to week. Either way, if it, Harvest meets at four campuses every single week. So you may not be in Catanning where I am right now. You could be in Indiana. You could be in Petrolia Valley. You're probably not a Freeport because I'm going to be there live this week. Um, but welcome to Harvest. You could be in the local jail, actually. So that's really our fifth place we are every week. And um, so welcome. We're jumping back into 1 Samuel. We took a break. Now, this really isn't more of the same, though. If you took the book of 1 Samuel in the Bible, you'd see it, it, it kind of has two halves. Um, it, the first 17 chapters are really pretty much the story of Samuel. But once David appears on the scene in 17, he appears before that, but this is where he really makes his mark. You remember the rock, the giant, and all that stuff? From then on, this is a book about his rise to kingship and how he got there. So we're starting with uh, chapter 18. Lots of fun stuff in chapter 18, huh? We all just read through it, and um, you might want to talk about that harmful spirit and the spear. Fortunately, that happens again in chapter 19, so I'll talk about that next week. If you want to talk about the foreskins, we're not talking about that. (laughs) You're not going to hear a sermon on that from me. But I would like to direct your mind all the way back to the beginning and Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan's a remarkable person, really uh, an unheralded star of 1 Samuel. He doesn't get top billing, um, but he's kind of like Robert Duvall in The the Godfather, right? I mean, he doesn't get top billing. No one ever copies Robert Duvall's voice like they do all the other guys. You know, Luca Brazza swims with the fishes and all that stuff. But Duvall was awesome in that movie. So that's Jonathan. He's like Robert Duvall. It's a friend. This is a sermon about love. 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 Boy, what a loaded, packed word that is. Love. Every human being needs love. You need love. No, you can't be big and tough say you don't. You can't say, I'm a rock, I'm an island, and all that stuff. You need love. You're not going to be happy alone. You just won't be. But you also want love and struggle with love. Love really is the center. If if the whole Bible is a target, love is that little red cork in the center. Jesus says the greatest commandment is... You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the the number one thing your life should be about is loving God. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So so you're you're 1B, right? Or love 1.1. Love other people. These, on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. The whole Bible is summed up when he says law and the prophets by love. It, it can be said that love is what God requires of us. It's what we need and it's what is required of us. And love is really easy sometimes. Sometimes. But for the most part, love isn't that easy. Not, not real love. It's hard It's hard to pull off. Do you want to know if you're a sinner? Try living around or with other human beings. You'll find out. Well, first you'll think the problem is them. 
They're sinners. But if you wisen up eventually and realize they're thinking the problem's you, I guess we're all sinners. And sinners, sin, sin is anti-love. That's one way to look at it. It's hard to love. And you know what else is hard? It's hard to feel like you're loved. We're so needy and craving for this thing. But, but we're afraid. We're afraid. I don't know why. It's, I can't get into the psychology of the human mind, and I'm not going to try. But we, we need love, but we don't want to say that out loud. Uh, why? I don't know. The Beatles in 1967 said, Love, love, love. Don't all you need is love. Remember that? Then Yoko came into the scene. They started fighting like cats and dogs. And three years later, they hated each other and broke up. They knew all you need is love. They just couldn't find any. Fallen creatures don't love real well. It takes... It takes an effort to care about people. It does. It's work. Ah, it's, it's work you don't mind for less than a handful of people. But for the most part, it's work. It's hard to forgive people, certain people. It's just hard. Uh, we tend to guard ourselves from being vulnerable. We want love, but you don't look safe, and you don't look safe, and you don't look safe, and next thing you know, you're Howard Hughes. Nobody looks safe. At times... We should be patient. We're impatient. We should, we should be trusting. We're jealous. We should be polite. We're rude. It's hard to say what we feel. And, uh, you know, you get songs like Love Stinks by Jay Giles. I know I'm dating myself, but I'm old. Well, today's text shows us a key ingredient to love, really the one of the keys, if you're going to pull it off in this life, and it's in Jonathan. And it also shows us love's mortal enemy. So the first uh, line in our note, in our maps, is um, the ingredient that gives love its power is humility. That gives love power. It isn't love, but without it, you can't. You, it, it, like, you, you won't be able to pull it off. The mortal enemy of love is pride. By pride, I don't mean I made a great cake and it won a ribbon at the fair and I'm so proud of myself. That kind of proud is okay. Or I've, your son did it. You're like, I'm proud of you. That, that's really not pride. That's, I don't know what that is. That's regular celebration of normal events. But pride in needing to exalt the self. So we have Jonathan as our model of humility. You can guess who's going to be the model of pride in a relationship here. So we get this wild statement the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul right now that can have a creepy vibe there were some who claim maybe Jonathan was gay Jonathan wasn't gay there's nothing he's not loving him like a crush but it's a true friendship it's a very rare friendship matter of fact if you have if you can be born on this earth and die and somewhere in if you get 80 years out of that you have one friend that loves you like Jonathan loved David you're a lucky person one two amazing that kind of love requires a lot of humility and that's what I want to highlight Jonathan's humility three examples one he saw David's success as his own success that's humility. To see someone else succeeding 
as your success itself. David should have been a threat to his ambitions. Who is who's Jonathan? He is the son of the king. The firstborn son of the king. Who's David? Well, he's not the king, but he's the guy that Samuel, the prophet, said is going to be the king one day. He's a threat. Don't you guys watch like shows like Vikings and stuff? The, you, you can't just let anybody run around being king. If you're the son of the king, you've got to kill some folks. He should be killing David. Nope. Instead, he gives this pledge, and the pledge is going to seem weird to our culture and context, but that's what was going on with that robe in business, where he said, here's my robe, here's my sword, here's my belt. Um, the prince is saying to another man, here, my sword is in, at your service, my robe is at your service, my position is at your service. You want to know a good test of who you truly love in life as a friend? People whose successes you celebrate as much as your own. Right, now I ain't, ain't going to break into wind beneath my wings or nothing here, but, <laughs> but if you just count in your head how many people who when they succeed, you get as happy as if you did it, there's probably very few, believe it or not. We go, oh yeah, I'm happy for him. But there's a, hopefully your kids if you have kids. But second way that he showed his humility is he's willing to be second to David. Not only was David's success something he liked, he said, you be first. David is going to be king and Jonathan pretty much seals the deal. Because if the only guy who could say, well, at least I have a birthright to the throne. Remember, Israel, this is their first king. They'd never had a human king. God was their king. God didn't want them to have Saul as a king, but they insisted, so God said, fine. This is their first prince. They know how all the nations do it. He's got the claim to the throne. Well, if the guy with the claim to the throne says, no, I serve this guy, there's your king. He pretty much agreed with Samuel. Who does that? Especially among men. No, I'm not saying women are more holy than men. I'm not trying to... But, but you got to admit, we men are very competitive about everything. And I know you, know you have a friend who's a woman who's competitive and all that. But we really are nuts, most of us men. If one man spits a loogie and it goes five feet, I, I'm not kidding you. There will be another guy who says, I can do better. They, we compete against everything. And most of the time it's good natured. But you ain't taking Mike Anderson Silva, known as the spider, was one of the greatest champions in mixed martial arts. Uh, he defended his belt for over six years. Some people said, until he recently tried to come back, that he might have been the greatest pound-for-pound fighter in UFC history. And then he was asked uh, a couple weeks ago about John Jones, the current light heavyweight champ. He said, who would win in a fight between you two? Because people are starting to say, he's as good. Without batting an eye, he said... He'd win. You never read that kind of stuff in sports, right? Who's better, MJ or LeBron? Well, it's hard for athletes to be second in stupid games. <laughs> but if you want to love somebody, it's got to be a way of life. I don't care who it is. If you want to love somebody, and, and this is talking about friendship love. And I know when we talk about love, we're always thinking about husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, father, mother, all the family. And 
I'm assuming, yes, all this applies to that too. But there's a rich love that's often lost in our culture because of Facebook. <laughs> Everyone gets on Facebook and hates everybody. But um, Facebook, you'd never see humility and love, almost never. Um, it's a place where Christians act mean to each other and talk like they wouldn't talk if they were in each other's presence, which is why I'm not there. You people can have it. I'll get my kids' pictures on Instagram. But <laughs> who needs that? one-upmanship and that competitiveness. Um, but if you want that special kind of friendship, love, it's, guys need this, by the way. Guys need dudes who are really friends, and women need women who are really friends. I know, not politically correct now to say that. Well, can a woman be a guy's friend? Yes, provided they're not the same age and she's not at all attractive to them. There's the truth. Women say, well, yeah, we can just be friends. Guys say, yeah, we're just friends. Until she says, I'm a little interested in you. And he goes, I've been waiting. And trust me, that's the way guys are. Ladies, you don't have to believe me. All the guys know I'm telling the truth. Dudes need dude friends. Women need women friends. How are you going to pull that off? You're going to have to will it, be willing to be second all the time. That's it. Uh, love is able to enjoy the beauty of another. She may be more beautiful than you. Can you still be her friend? Uh, the strength of another. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Because this isn't going to be the main point here. We're going to get to Jesus. He's always my main point. But I want to show you these three examples. The third that I see in Jonathan is he declared his loyalty to David openly. He, he said it out loud. This is very risky stuff to express your friendship to anyone. If you don't believe it, watch... <laughs> The innocent young girl goes into ninth grade and expresses her love to everybody. By the time she's in 11th grade, she's very hurt and jaded. She knows. You don't do that. You've got to be careful who you express your kindness and love to. And, and for dudes, love undeclared is love incomplete. It really is. Life is short. And I have to say, the most important things often go unsaid. I don't think it's so with Jonathan. There are, I once talked to a guy whose wife left him after so many years, and he never understood he loved her so. How many times did you tell her? Well, I told her we were married. How long were you married? 17 years. Well, that's it? Well, she should know. <laughs> yeah, she should know. She should know. Dudes, if you're getting married, or if you're married, can I tell you? She needs you to tell her. When? Now, I told her yesterday, it was Valentine's Day last week, I told her, you need to tell her again. How often should I tell her? Well, just a lot. My kid knows I love him. Does he? Have you told him? I'm not just talking to men. I feel like I'm picking on my sex, but we're the ones normally who don't say what we're feeling. Now, don't get too sappy with other dudes because we don't know what to do with that stuff. But Jonathan just steps right up and goes, here's my belt, here's my... David could be like, whoa, I don't know if we're buds like this yet. But there is a time when a guy even has to take a risk. Say, you know what, my life's a lot better since you became my friend. And then insult them, so you... <laughs> that's the way we do it. <laughs> By the way, you're ugly. That's, that's how we love each other. But how, seriously, how many things, how many people go to the grave? You meet people close to death, and they think, I wish I'd have said this, I wish I'd have said that. It's normally affection. It's normally affection. Okay, so that's Jonathan. Jonathan loves David, but his dad does not love David. <laughs> 
his dad, David. And I don't know why. David's been nothing but good for Saul. David was told by another guy, you get to be the king. And he doesn't even make, make, he doesn't go up to Saul. Saul, Samuel said, I get to be the king. When can we schedule that? He doesn't even have that conversation. He's like, Saul, you're the king. God made you king. I'm not messing with that. If I'm supposed to be king, I'll wait. It'll happen on its own. And then he goes out and Saul is completely embarrassed by this giant man in the Philistine army. And, and, and he says, I got this. Kills him with a rock. Chops his head clean off. And, and then all the people go, yay. And then he goes out to battle. He's nothing but good for Saul. So does Saul love him for that? No. In fact, well, kind of everything was fine until the women started to sing. Check this out. Check out these women. Talk about being ready. This is what I call a worship team always ready. As they were coming home, David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And check this out. The women sang to another, one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck his ten thousands. David is... His, no, he struck his thousands. David is ten thousands. Whoa! Uh, okay, first... They're quick with a song. It's like, it's like Bob Dylan is over there writing, okay, what's happening? Let's write a song. They've got it written already. They'd never make it in the modern church. Well, if the song wasn't written in 1600, <laughs> it's not holy. It's like, well, they, it's, the ink is fresh. They're, they're like... <laughs> but I don't think they understand men's egos. Or it could just be that David was the most eligible bachelor in Israel at that time because he wasn't married. He, he's obviously hot. You know, he's... <laughs> He's good with a rock, and, and uh, he fights, and he has all the stuff you want. So they're like, "Woo, we love David. Saul hears this song and goes, what? What? Saul's problem with David, he should love David, because David's nothing but good to him. He should love him. But Saul is a flawed creature, as we've already seen and his pride gets in the way. So three examples we see in this text of Saul's pride, kind of to contrast Saul. By the way, Saul's son, and we're going to see next week a little bit more about Michael. Son and daughter come out really well, which makes me think Saul's wife was a pretty awesome mom because somebody raised his kids right. I don't think it was him. But anyway, here's his pride. One, he only valued people he saw as useful. Saul liked David's victory over the Philistine giant. He liked when he played songs that that calmed him down, but beyond that, he had no use for him. He he didn't love David for being David. He loved David for what he did. And when he didn't like what he did, he didn't like David. This is very common for us, by the way. It's very common for us. It's very easy for any of us humans to pay more attention to those we have use for and to categorize people like that. No use for that person and ignore them and not talk to them. You often see it uh, in, in, in social settings. You can see it in work settings. You can see it in, in, you know. I love being, like if I'm ever in church circles, the only place a pastor has any cred, church circles. I won't tell people I'm a pastor because <laughs> I want to see how they'll treat me if I'm just a dude. And, and, and often I've seen them turn. It's like, yeah, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? Oh, he's the pastor of the church. Oh, how you doing, minister? <laughs> it's like, you didn't like me a minute ago. 
or the way people treat the guy who cleans the office or the, the, wait, the wait staff often shows how they love. If they have no use for you, well, why do I care about her? I got no use for her. Bring me my burger, and that's good. And that was Saul. I saw this uh, movie called Eighth Grade on, on, on Amazon Prime. It was a wild movie, and I'm not saying I recommend it. It's definitely PG-13, no net nudity, but it, it deals with some of those subjects. But <laughs> it made you feel like you were an eighth grade girl for a week. I was so insecure and nervous the whole movie. I am not kidding. I have so much compassion for eighth grade girls now. I had no idea you people go through this. I'm sorry. It's going to be okay. But she has a pretty girl, but she had zits, and there was these two really cool girls. And every time she talked to them, she'd try to make friends, but she was the goof. They'd be like, yeah, just ignoring her completely. They had no use for her. That's what Saul was like. That's pride. It's when you think people are just tools. Second, he hated when others were exalted above himself. I liked you, David, till you got your tens of thousands. Why couldn't the song be, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his 999s? One less. Thomas More wrote, The devil is a proud spirit who cannot endure to be mocked. And it's so in, in us, too, who've fallen. It's impossible to want to be more important than someone and love that person as a true friend. You can't do it. Eventually, you'll, you'll, it'll, it'll show. If you want to be more important and more praised than your friend, you're not going to love that person from the heart. Rivalries lead to hatred in many areas. Family, job, I'm not going to go into it. Third, he opposed God by attacking someone that God blessed, and this was perhaps the very worst thing. God was on the side of David. God was on the side of David. It said right in the text. Every time David went out to fight, he went. He, um, and Saul thought he could beat David, who has God on his side. Right? If you and me, any one of you in here, want to play me one-on-one in basketball, you may win. I can't breathe after like 30 seconds. I'm not in good shape. So I say, let's play two-on-two. And then you, you can pick anyone in the room, and you pick anyone you want. I don't care. And I pick LeBron. <laughs> I'm going to win. He's got God on his side. He tries this trick. Hey, marry my daughter. No, not here. Marry this daughter. And first you have to go get those you-know-whats. You want 100? I'll get you 200. Why is David successful? Verse 14. And David has success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. Well, if God was blessing David and Saul is seeking to destroy David, who is Saul really fighting? You see the problem? If God lifts one person up and you try to tear him down... Don't oppose God because of pride. And you can do that right here. You don't have to be a Bible character. You can do that right here in this life. In more than one way. When you think, well, I'm going to tear this person down. I'm going to criticize this person. I'm going to tell this person how wrong they are. I'm going to go on Facebook and tell everybody how wrong they are. You could be opposing God. And it's pride. 
Don't oppose God's people because of your pride. There's a guy named Gamaliel in the book of Acts. And the apostles are getting roughed up by the uh, Pharisees. The church is new. Christianity's new. And they're saying, you people are blowing this. We're going to beat you up and throw you in jail and all these things. And then, and then I want, let me show you someone who, who understood this wisdom. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged. These are the, the Pharisees and wanted to kill the apostles. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now that's wisdom. I don't know if Gamaliel ever came to know Jesus. He did train Paul, so he might have. But that's wisdom. And, and we have to be careful <laughs> that we don't do the same. But I want to take it out of the religious context of Saul and David, clearly a religious context, and maybe the apostles, and put it in a relational context. You could oppose God by hating people who are more gifted than you in any way. If some woman's more pretty than you, who made her more pretty? God. If some, if some woman can sing better than you, I'm going to women here. I'll pick on men later, I guess, because I was picking on men. Who made her have a better voice? God. If someone could do cheerleading better than you, and she's a better athlete, no matter what you try, Someone can do math better than you. Someone stronger, faster. So many people hate each other within families, within friendships, because someone else is just better than them. Well, why not celebrate their betterness? Because God made them that way. You're saying, so God made everyone better than me and he made me suck. Okay, at least you figured out the problems between you and God. If you think you suck, talk to God. <laughs> God, I suck. Why is everyone better than me? It's a much more helpful conversation than hating your friend. Because you're literally opposing God. Any of you ever see the movie Amadeus? <laughs> if you haven't, I would recommend the movie Amadeus to everyone here. This is a little bit of a, uh, a side note, but I think it's an important one. Uh, something to think about. In Amadeus, it's about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Wolfi. And uh, he's an uncouth dude. He's, 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 not, he does, he does, he's not worthy of all those powdered wigs that old-timers used. And, and, um, and, and, but he's so good at music, naturally, that he becomes famous, like the king of Vienna wants to see him. And, uh, and he doesn't know how to act. He acts like an idiot a little bit because he's, he's kind of like me, socially. <laughs> and so I, maybe why I like the movie, you know. And, but there's another guy named Salieri 
who's in the king's cabinet. He's actually worked to earn the position of being the chief musician. And he has dedicated everything he's done to God. And so, when he hears that Mozart's coming to visit the king, he's like, I will write a piece of music for Mozart. And I will honor him. But his real thought is, I will show him I'm a better musician than him. Well, he doesn't know what he's getting into. So he prays and he writes his music and he spends hours on it and days on it. And then the king is talking to Mozart. Mozart's being himself, a little flippant, but friendly enough. And then he says, I, this is Salieri. And he says, I would like to present you this piece of music. And Mozart says, oh, well, thanks. And he looks over, thank you. And that's it. He gets no praise. He says, well, you're going to play it now? Yeah. Okay. So he sits down at the little piano forte thing they got there that sounds funnier than our pianos. And he, you know, he starts to play it. And Salieri is beaming with pride that his music is being played by the one who's supposed to be the new great composer. And, um, and he knows that Mozart is going to compliment him. So he's playing the music. And when he's done playing, he goes, wasn't that good? He goes, yeah, that's good. He said, but you know what? If you took this part and did it like this, and he's making it better on the spot without any prayer, without any thought, without any time, he just destroys the guy without even knowing it. And the whole movie is about how Salieri wants to destroy Amadeus because of a gift God gave him, and he ends up opposing God. By the end of the movie, he hates God. Salieri does. There's a lesson for that in all our relationships. A lesson about God, about who he gifts, about grace, and about what it's like when we hate one another. Anyway. How do we apply all this? That's it. That's the lesson. How do we apply it to our daily lives? How do we apply this to our daily lives? How do we grow in friendship? Because we need to. And in love. Because God said, it's the only thing I expect from you people is love. Love me, love one another. That's it. You do that, everything else gets right. Number one, two things, I think. One, look at Jesus. It's always about Jesus. You may never have a friend like John. Often. <laughs> Jonathan. There's a lot of Johns in the Bible. I've got to make sure I get that. It'd be great to have a friendship like that. You may never get it. You may have it. You may not. But you have something greater. Friendship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Okay, if you want to relate to Jesus, how should you relate to him? Who gets to be the boss? Say him. Jesus, right? That's, always, that's the answer. Who gets to be the king? Jesus. Who gets to be the Lord? Jesus. Who gets to be the savior? Jesus. Who gets to be the God? Jesus. He's definitely better than you at everything, right? Right? He's willing to relate to you, and he says, I'll be Jonathan, you be David. What do I mean? Consider these texts. Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus said, Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. The Son of God, great God of heaven, came down, and he could have been served. He didn't have to be laid in a food bowl on Christmas morning. He could have said, 
sent angels, get the place ready. I need something royal. I need some gold around there. I need red carpets. I need people. I need my face to glow like it will in the paintings that they do 1,600 years later. I need, I, I need some glory. But he said, I didn't come to be served. If Jesus wanted us to serve him, he could do it. He could make us do anything he wants. I came to serve you. Take off my robe, put it on you. Take my sword, take my belt. And to give his life a ransom. We are lost in sin. I love the picture of ransom. Kidnapped by Satan. We're We're in trouble. I came to free you from that. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. How does Jesus relate to you? He owns every. What's he own? Everything. What do you own? Think up all you own right now, real quick. Okay, you got it? Good. It's not yours, it's his. You're just borrowing it. <laughs> and you'll die and, he'll t- and he can take it back whenever he wants. And he owns what everybody owns because he owns the globe. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but he also owns the cattle on a thousand more hills. He owns everything. He owns the stars. He owns the universe. He owns everything that could be called treasure. He owns everything, all things. How's he going to relate to you? He became poor so you could become rich. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, God the Father made God the Son. That's the he and the him. God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus who never sinned. Forever and ever there was no sin in God. He took on a frail body like ours that's capable of sin, but he never sinned, and we always do. And then he put him on a cross, and he took all your sin and all mine, and he put it on him. Who's loving who the most right now? You or him? He's loving you. He's loving you with humility. The application of Philippians 2, the whole first half of this chapter is just, it's worth spending a lifetime on. But Paul applies it. He says this, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Oh, he was in the form of God. You got Saul saying, I'm the king. Sing about me. You got God who's God. And he comes down and he says, you don't got to sing about me at all. It's not why I came. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here so you'll write me songs. I'm not here so you'll praise me. I'm here to do a job, to save you. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. I don't think we'll ever understand, without the Holy Spirit's help, and even then I don't know if we'll understand on this earth, what that means. For God, the creator of all things, to empty himself, to, to, to humble himself, to become such a nothing, 
by that I mean a human, walking, animated clay person who can die on a speck of earth. We don't know. What's that like? He, he calls it being made in the form of a servant or a slave to be born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility is the road to the cross. Jesus ain't making it to the cross as a proud man. He's making it as a humble man. But if there's anyone who has reason to, to, to brag, it's him. If there's anyone who has reason to go, when he scores a touchdown, it's him. If there's anyone who has reason to put his name on a building, it's him. The, the humility is how you get to a cross. A little bit of pride and he never would have had to die for your sins. But then you'd be in your sins. At the cross, for God so loved the world, at the cross, all your pride is hanging. Do you want to know how good of a person you are on your own? If all the goodness you ever did could be made into a, a paycheck, right? You say, God, give me all the goodness I ever did apart from you. Just from being me, just from being a good old guy. I want you to show me how, what a lovely picture I painted. He would take you to a beaten Man with spit running down his face, someone else's, bloody, dying on a cross, and say, there's your righteousness right there. That's how righteous you are. Why would he do that for me or you? Well, he loves you. And he wants to be your friend. And I don't mean that in some kind of care bear way. It's right there in, 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 the, in John at the upper room discourse, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And a friend celebrates the success of another. Well, if he's your friend, if he's my friend, I'm going to hell. And he can prevent it, but it'll cost him everything. Does he love me that much? How many friends ditched you when it started to cost them something? Everyone here must have somebody who ditched them. When it started to cost, when it started to hurt, when being your friend just wasn't easy no more, they were gone. Would it be your friend to love you right, the sinless one's going to have to die for your sins, or you're going to hell? Well, he did it. He did it. He put you ahead of him, and then he tells you of his love. The second thing, we look to Jesus, but then we have to die and then love people. Now that may not make any sense. You got to die and then love people, but you got to die. Why? Because you're not good at loving people. I'm not good at loving people. We're not good at being loved and we're not good at loving. Can we just know that? Boy, I wish everyone getting married would know that. We all just read 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is that. And I'm sitting there thinking, and you two ain't going to do any of that. Because you ain't patient, you ain't kind, not when the stress is up. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You married folks. Has anyone ever kept a record of wrong in that marriage? That ain't what you said when you got married. 
We're not good at it. We hide. We protect ourselves. I don't know why. The only way to love like God wants us to love is to die. And by that, I don't mean you wait for your body to die. I mean you follow Jesus. You know, we talk about when you follow Jesus, you receive him into your heart, right? That's fine. I don't mind that. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them become, he became, gave the right to be called children of God. So you can receive him, right? Ask Jesus into your heart, we say. That one's okay, but it's nowhere in the Bible. But you can say that if you want. I don't care. You can say you convert. There's all kinds of ways saying that you've come to Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, crosses were only used for one thing, not jewelry. Not yet. In fact, it would have been a very odd jewelry to them. It's not, it's not jewelry. You're like, hey, you have a nice gold syringe around your neck. What is that? Oh, that's from the lethal injection used on my father. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? You're like, you're weird. No, no, crosses were for one thing, to agonizingly murder somebody. And Jesus said, so, so the first thing you do when you come to Jesus is have what I'd call a life exchange. You exchange your life for his life. It's, it's spiritual, yeah. But instead of trying to be good, say, I can't be good. How about you be good for me? That's the exchange. This concept is uh, summarized in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, you have been crucified with Christ Two, you were not there. You didn't feel the pain, but Jesus says, okay, it's as if Mike is here, so he's dead. So you can't punish his sins. This this is the spiritual transaction God did. If Christ died, you died. So every time you think, well, I'm an awful Christian, I'm not going to heaven. Wrong. You're dead. That person's dead. He says, But it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the secret of the Christian life, is Jesus lives in you. He has no trouble loving. That's all he's ever done. He never blew it. Not one time did he blow it. Not one time. He wasn't working uh, as a kid and hit his finger with a hammer as his dad, and then he started just cussing and stuff and kicked the cat. He never did that. Plus, I think a cat's an unclean animal. I don't know. Do Jews, Jews have cats? I don't know. And since he's, he's not only man but God, had he, had he done that, it would have been horrible. Could you imagine road rage if you just ticked Jesus off? He'd be like, I hope your car blows up. Boom! Because <laughs> if he says it's got to happen... The key to the Christian life is Mike. You can't. He can. Romans 6, 8. If we have died with Christ, we will believe we will live with Christ. Skip that next verse. Uh, to, to follow Jesus is to die to yourself and receive Christ. And you might, you might say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not patient. Well, Jesus is, and he's in you. The, the Christian life, yeah, it's work. You know why it's work? Because doing what God says... You're going to fight 
your old nature all the time. The Bible says the flesh wages war against the spirit that we would not do what we ought. But the advantage you have now that you have Christ is you have the power to win the fight. Do you believe it? You have to believe it. That's the way you unlock that power. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2.20. So so really, the Christian life, it shouldn't be like, well, I received Christ, and now I'm going to be like a loser Christian, do my best, but nobody will care because Jesus died for me. No, that's not it. I receive Christ, and now I'm going to do good deeds in his name because he empowers me. I'm going to die every day. We have to die daily. Until God gives you your new body, which cannot be tempted and cannot sin, you're going to have to get up and say, another day I'm dying. Beautiful day, God. Sun shining, birds singing. I'm dead. I love it. That's how you got to go out. I got this really cool shirt. It's got a pile of skulls all over it. It's black. And you know, when I was in high school, I only wore blue jeans and black rock and roll t-shirts. Now, I'm not saying that was good. I'm not saying your daughter should have dated me then. But I almost put it on today anyway, because it looks like a good rock and roll t-shirt with the blood and all that. But then what it says on it is, I die daily. It's really an undercover Jesus shirt. And if I'm going to love my wife, I need to die daily. And if I'm going to love you, I need to die daily. Because there's someone in me who wants to love you when it's easy. And then when you start to get annoying, (laughs) I don't want to love you no more. And notice I always make it your fault. It's not I'm annoying. (laughs) You know, hey, look, can I give you a little insight into life? Just in case you didn't know this. I know you think this. If she or he would just see it my way, we wouldn't fight. They're thinking the same thing. Just a little insight. (laughs) If he wasn't so stubborn, you know what they're thinking? If he, it's just, it's always the same. Die daily. I'm not saying it's going to be a cinch, but I'm saying it's worth it. And and you know what happens is the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, love, kindness, all these things that are love, they will grow in you. Maybe not as fast as you want, but they will grow. You will behave more loving and more kindly as you go on if you will walk with Christ. It'll happen. It happens. So here's here's, here's your homework. (laughs) <laughs> be Jonathan and make everybody David um, increase the number of people who say I have a Jonathan in my life if you're a woman a Jonathanette okay increase the number of people who say you wouldn't believe what a good friend I've got someone increase the number of people who you see their success as if you won increase the number of people you, you're happy about being exalted above you you might say no one could be you haven't had kids yet If you have kids, you you get this. Although some parents are competitive with their kids, which is dangerous. But for the most part, if you've got a kid and they win the championship, you're happy. Even though you didn't win. Unless you're one of those weird parents. And and perhaps one of the things we've got to do is be willing to declare our love and loyalty to one another openly. 
Jesus did it for us. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.